Welcome to the Causey Consulting Podcast. You can find us online anytime at causeyconsultingllc.com. And now, here's your host, Sarah Causey. Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning in. So if you have a boss right now, if not, think back to the last one that you had. Would you say that that person was Sunny Sunshine or Susie Cream Cheese? just emitted an aura of positivity. You really enjoyed being around them. They encouraged you. They were supportive. They were just ah, a breath of fresh air every time they walked in. There's an old saying that everyone brightens a room, some by walking in and some by walking out. (laughs) Do you feel that your boss was that way? Or if you're working for someone now, do you feel like your boss is that way? I feel like fortune.com has been a treasure trove, no pun intended, lately, and not in a good way. (laughs) So I want to read from this article for you now, titled, Bosses Have Do-Gooder Fatigue. They're done caring about your well-being. Bosses are tired of being the nice guy. An executive headhunter told the Financial Times that leaders are experiencing do-gooder fatigue from prioritizing workers' well-being during the pandemic. Now that the return to office push is in full effect, the feeling is we need to get back to business, they said. As 4 million plus workers quit their jobs every month during the height of the Great Resignation, managers pulled out all the stops to recruit and retain them. One of the keys to workers' hearts, mental health efforts at a time of high burnout and anxiety. Employees care that their workplace cares about them, and companies have been listening. 66% of employers changed their policies this past year to support the well-being of their workers, according to NFP's 2022 U.S. Employer Benefits Survey. They began speaking more openly about mental health in the workplace, expanded mental health benefits, and let employees work from home for better work-life balance. But prioritizing worker burnout has left managers burnt out. Gallup found their stress levels increased significantly from 2020 to 2021. And after several coronavirus variants thwarted past efforts to bring workers back to their desks, employers are ready for an official return, claiming that remote work has been hurting business. Labor Day may have been the turning point, bringing major back-to-school vibes for many workers as companies like Apple, Comcast, and Peloton all mandated a hybrid policy. Meanwhile, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon, who already ordered employees back to the office full-time, announced that the investment bank was lifting all COVID restrictions. Employers are trying to regain the upper hand in the labor market, but it's coming at the cost of employee well-being. One-third said in a McKinsey survey that their return to work was hurting their mental health. Workers who have been accustomed to a new way of work are up for a battle now that the balance of power is shifting, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) I mean, how many of you listening today feel that you currently have a boss that you would categorize as a do-gooder? Or maybe you historically have had bosses that you would consider to be (laughs) do-gooders? I'm willing to bet that probably the majority of you would say no. (laughs) Most of the time, not all the time to be fair, but most of the time when people leave a job, when they're prioritizing the reasons why they left, 
having a frontline manager who they did not like, they didn't feel was supportive, they thought was a snake in the grass, et cetera, that's usually the number one reason. Yes, there are other factors involved like pay, benefits, unable to take time off, the job became repetitive, didn't see any upward mobility, et cetera. All of that is important. But if you're in a company that eh, maybe the job's kind of ho-hum or the company itself is not really something that you're particularly crazy about, but your immediate supervisor is awesome, that can make a huge difference. Likewise, even if everything else is spectacular, you're paid well, the benefits are good, but your immediate supervisor is hell on wheels and you just want to get away from them every time they walk into your office or into your cube, you just feel very tense and sick to your stomach. It's awful. And it can drive you out of an otherwise great environment. It can't. So I'm just sitting here like, where are all these do-gooder bosses? (laughs) Where, Where are they? One point I want to make here is that the gloves are very much off. You know, I've said for a while now that corporate America is not burying its thesis. And they're saying right here in this fortune.com article, bosses are tired of being the nice guy. So even though I'm sitting here, probably you are too going, what? (laughs) Well, when were they? I would love to know when, when that was anyway. And as it also says in this article, the feeling is we need to get back to business. They said, it's kind of like, okay, we're done with the pageantry, we're done with the theatrics of the, <clears throat> we want you to get back in the cubicle. It's time for you to come on back, be button seat. We're not going to play pretend that we care about your feelings. We're not going to give a tip of the hat to the idea of empathy and compassion. We're done with that. Okay. It was play acting the whole time. We did it because, well, global pandemic, we thought we had to, but now we want your butt super glued to that seat. Don't give us any lip. Don't give us any back talk. You just sit down, hush up, and do what you're told. Wow. I published an article on medium.com titled Laying Down the Law, which I took from an article, because that's how this whole RTO push has really played out. Workers have talked about how they were happier and more productive at home. They don't really want to go back, but yet here's this push. The language around it is like, an angry parent or an angry teacher berating a kid on the playground. You've had your fun at home as though working from home has just been one big party. (laughs) Maybe for somebody somewhere it has been, you know, I sort of think this is like anecdotal stuff about the do-gooder bosses on some other planet in some alternate universe. Then there are a, a whole cluster of, do-gooder bosses, along with workers who've treated work from home as one big party. Okay, yeah, maybe I need to go find that alternate reality, sure. There was a post published on LinkedIn. I'll drop a link to it so you can see it for yourself. And the blurb for that article reads, Labor Day is the unofficial end of summer, and in many companies, it may be the end of working from home. After countless delays, many C-suites are laying down the law telling employees to return to the office for real this time. End quote. (laughs) Exactly. It's like the veneer has been stripped away. Although I'm still personally skeptical of this idea of the do-gooder boss who just cares so much, we're now moving from the carrot to the stick. Laying down the law. Get your butt back in the cubicle or it's your job. 
I also wrote a blog post titled The Fat Fire Fire Festival, where I kind of poke fun a bit at this fat fire notion. I want to read from that for you now, because I also include a passage from Larry Wingate's book. Regardless of the nomenclature, fat fire is just hustle culture repackaged with a different name, in my opinion. And hustle culture, for that matter, was just another name for the promise of work hard for us now, we'll take care of you later. Wink. Larry Wingate extols this notion in his 2000 book, It's Called Work for a Reason. Your success is your own damn fault. In that book, he tells the story of his father working for Sears for 47 years, which immediately made me think of my grandmother who did the same. When you and your employer decided that you were going to work together, you made a deal. The deal was you would show up when they told you to, and you would do what they paid you to do. For that, you would receive an amount of money that you agreed to. A deal was struck and all agreed. That was probably just about all that was included. Of course, there were details and some papers were probably signed, but I'll pretty much guarantee you that in the fine print on those forms you were signing, they didn't promise you that you would be happy, and they didn't promise that your coworkers were going to be perfect little angels who loved and adored you. And they didn't say that you wouldn't get tired or mad or sad or have your feelings hurt. You just struck a deal based on the work and the money. You provide the work and they provide the money. Larry Wingett. So what happens when they don't live up to their part of the bargain? I remember reading this book on my lunch break when I had to go back to Corpo America with my tail tucked between my legs after my first business failed. God, I was miserable. <laughs> I guess reading misery porn like that book was a way to self-flagellate and assume that everything that went wrong was my own damn fault. As he goes on to discuss his father rarely missing work even when sick and not suing when he was injured on the job, he doesn't mention things like, oh, I don't know, the Enron scandal. I was a young adult when that crap happened, and let me tell you, it makes one hell of an impression when you see people crying on TV because they'll never retire. They planned to, but they were hit with a pretty terrible slap in the face. End quote. End quote on my own quote. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And I feel like that's one of the irritating things about pushing the message of personal responsibility to the nth degree. Yes, personal responsibility is important. And yes, for the record, I think we could use a good stiff dose of it in this world. I feel like there are people who have been too coddled. I feel like there are people who have been spoiled. The least little thing and they're just ready to throw in the towel and give up. Yes, those people exist. I suspect those people have always existed. <laughs> I don't think that being spoiled rotten by your parents or grandparents doting on you all the time and not having any stick to is just some brand new concept that was recently invented. <laughs> Pretty sure there have been people like that around since um, forever. But what this message of everything is your own damn fault, you're responsible for everything, what it misses is what about the circumstances where you're not? Now, I remember reading this awful story about a woman who was in college and she got hurt by a drunk driver. She was just driving on the road, minding her own business and got mowed down by a drunk driver and had some pretty significant injuries from that crash. And it led her to have to drop out of college. Well, she still had student loans for the time that she was in college. She had to go through physical therapy. Her parents were both deceased. So she did not have any immediate family members to fall back on. And it's like, how are you going to sit there and say, 
that being mowed down by a drunk driver is somehow that woman's own fault. If you do, there's something wrong with you, if that's what you really think. It also doesn't take into account the times when these bankers and fat cats and high rollers in corporate America have mercilessly screwed the little guy. And they have. You know, it's like if you, we have such a bizarre dichotomy in this country, and it's really ridiculous in my opinion. But it's like if you speak out against the state, then you must automatically be a right winger. But if you speak out against corporate America and Wall Street and the bankers and the fat cats, then you get painted as some kind of pinko commie. And it's like, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm not either of those things. Not everybody with, you know, like a working brain and some common sense can so easily be put on a left, right, this or that political spectrum. I'm politically agnostic on this podcast anyway. I feel like For me, coming from staffing and recruiting and having a front row seat to the job market for all of these years, as well as a front row seat to the way that hiring managers really think, the conversations that really go on behind closed doors that the general public is not privy to, I just feel compelled to speak out against certain things. No, we don't live in a perfect world. We don't have a utopia and we never will. That's kind of the point I'm making about individuals that are spoiled rotten. Those people have always been with us. People that if they try something new and they're not immediately good at it, they want to take their ball and go home. Those people have been around forever. And I think sort of overemphasizing those individuals in society might just be a waste of time. Not everything does boil down to you being in complete control of everything and everyone going on around you. Can you imagine how much easier life would be (laughs) if if your life was just its own little fiefdom and everyone that ever entered into your realm did exactly what you said and exactly what you wanted? (laughs) It might also get pretty boring too. I think it would probably eliminate spontaneity, but let's get real here. As I wrote in my blog post, But that's what these commentators so often miss. What if corporate America takes your labor, but doesn't hold up its side of the bargain? What then? I mean, Larry talks about this trade of labor that his father made with Sears. My grandmother did the same thing. I've talked before about how she was a telephone operator for Sears for I don't even know how many decades. But it was at the time when getting the Sears catalog was a BFD. I mean, that that was a huge deal. People couldn't wait to see the adult. Basically, it was like this. Adults couldn't wait to see the clothes and the doodads and the kids couldn't wait to see the toys. When you got that Sears Christmas catalog, that was just like heaven on earth. And you were so excited to see what was in there for that season. Times change, of course. (laughs) I don't even think I'm not even sure Sears is still around now. The last thing I read about them was that depressing article where the Sears sign was like laying by the dumpsters behind a building. But my point is, you know, Larry doesn't go into, okay, well, what would have happened if your dad was supposed to get his gold watch and pension and they said, oh, sorry about you, we've gone bankrupt. So all of the stuff that you were supposed to get to make sure that you got to enjoy your retirement years, well, that's all gone. But yet for people of my generation, we've seen that play out over and over again, too big to fail and Enron and these scoundrels that abscond with millions upon millions upon billions of dollars. Oh, and then they never see a day in jail. 
we get asked for our sweet taxpayer money to bail them out and nothing bad ever happens to them. Something bad happens to us, but it never happens to them. And we get told, we get, oh, in the holiest of holy stack of Bibles, they swear it'll never happen again. And then it does. You give it 10 to 15 years max, and then here they are again. <laughs> I mean, so I think it's very frustrating. I think it's short-sighted and it's frustrating to say, if you just give these people your labor, they will take care of you. I think that's BS on either side of the argument. Now, okay, just my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I think it's BS, and I, I don't think it matters. I don't draw much differentiation between whether we're talking about the state or we're talking about the Wall Street fat cats in corporate America. I don't think it matters whether whether you're looking at it as, well, if I just toe the line and I do what I'm supposed to do, then grandpa government will take care of me and they'll do right by me and they'll send me my checks. <laughs> okay. Or if you say, if I toe the line and I do what's right and I sit in this cubicle and I shut up, then grandpa corporate America will do what's best for me and will make sure that I have my pension and my benefits and my gold watch. Okay, <laughs> we just don't live in that world anymore. So yes, personal responsibility is important. And I've talked more than a few times about having a job loss survival plan. I would say it's really important too, whether you're planning for some kind of traditional retirement or a non-traditional retirement, to figure out how do you plan on making ends meet later in life? Do you want to continue working? Do you not? Do you feel like your investments are solid? And then what even, what would we even consider to be solid investments anymore? It's all just digits on the screen. Yeah, you know, I read that article about Bill Murray raising, I think it was $200,000 for charity in crypto and it was stolen by a hacker within a matter of minutes. We just live in such a weird, ever-changing world. It's hard for me to imagine what it must have been like even just a couple of generations ago. The idea of, okay, you do this, you work for a living, you get the pension and the gold watch, and then your retirement years, you do whatever you want. You get a Winnebago and go see the grandkids. You want to go camping every night, do whatever. <laughs> it's just, I think for those of us Gen X and below, that's such a remote, long ago idea that we'll never get to see. So I'm like, where where is this alternate reality? Where are the do-gooder bosses that come in like Susie Cream Cheese and Sunny Sunshine every day? I'd love to know where they are. Where are the people who feel like work from home has been one big party? They've been able to just kick back and drink beer and get paid to do it. Where? Who are these people? I feel like Seinfeld again. Who are these people that feel like, you know, no matter what, the state and corporate America will somehow do what's right and take care of them and everything will be okay. And they can put trust in corporate America and everything that happens to you one way or the other is your own damn fault. Even if it's very plainly not your fault, it's still somehow your fault. What? What kind of weird clown world is this? <laughs> Another thing that Larry talks about in that book is like, well, the packages still have to be shipped. The phones still have to be answered. The files still have to be filed. The numbers have to be calculated. Work has to go on whether you're feeling like it or not. As a business owner, I, I do understand that. I would say even more so I understand it from an agricultural perspective. I've talked before about it doesn't matter 
if you're raising animals and you're taking care of a parcel of land, what you're feeling that on that particular day is really not relevant. It does not matter if it's burning hot, freezing cold, snow, sleet, rain, whatever. You're going to have to get out there and do what you have to do to take care of your animals, period. End of discussion. I've been out at times where I was pelted with both torrential rain and hailstones, and I couldn't even hardly see to get into the barn to get shelter and do what I needed to do to round up hay and feed and all that. So I get it. I, I do understand this notion of certain things have to be done regardless of how you're feeling on that particular day. 100% understood. This is part of the life that I lead being involved in farming and ranching. I get it. Where I have trepidation about that idea is when we, when we use it as justification to put blind faith in any institution, regardless. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the state. It doesn't matter if we're talking about corporate America. Blind faith in anything scares the dickens out of me. It really does. Because it's like, what happens if they don't hold up their end of the bargain? If you drag into work, even when you're sick, you go up there, you get injured on the job, you don't say anything, whatever. Like these stories that Larry tells in the book, you do all of that. And then when it's your turn to cash in on the retirement and the gold watch and the retirement party with the cake and ice cream and all that, they say, you know what? We're so sorry, but it's just not in our budget anymore. And unfortunately, I do think we will see more of that happen as we go into whatever this is. Recession, depression, hyperinflation, 70s era stagflation, whatever. Whatever this may be that's brewing up. The Great, Re- the great Recession 2.0. <laughs> we will probably see more of that. I remember during the great recession, the, we, we had been getting bonuses at work. Of course, those went away. There was no more 401k contributions or matches. I mean, it was like a lot of what, what they considered to be fringe benefits went away. It was like, we'll, we'll pay you, but there's no more overtime. There's no more 401k. There's no more bonus. There's no more profit share. Like, you know, you're just going to have to show up and get what we give you, basically. I feel like we will see more of that, perhaps even worse. It's just going to depend on how bad this contraction is. Because I don't recall inflation being to this degree the last time around. I do remember gas prices were high and having to like really think out your trips and plan ahead. But I don't remember it just week upon week upon week. Every time you went in a Dollar General or every time you went in the grocery store to get something, it was more expensive than it was the last time. You to the point where employees can't even keep up with the price hikes anymore. I don't remember it being like that when you would go to the store. I remember being able to set a budget for the groceries and the household necessities and be able to stick with it pretty well. So I I just don't think the prices were that insane and ever-changing at that point in time. So this could be even worse. I hope not. Not trying to sound like Debbie the Downer, but it, it could be. So I think this notion of the, the boss as a do-gooder and a Susie cream cheese or a sunny sunshine and everybody's just been partying at home. They're flush with cash from the 2020 stimmies and <laughs> putting blind faith in your job. The don't worry, they're going to hook you up. They're going to take care of you. Your feelings don't matter. You don't matter. Whatever happens in life is your own damn fault. <sighs> okay. Wake up, 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 up. <laughs> Just, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure it is. Sure it is, Lair. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm, what a crazy time to be alive. Mm. Just going to go wax philosophical for a while. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, and I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a quick second to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.